There's a portrait uh, Michelangelo made famous. It's his portrait. <laughs> oh, I, don't, I don't know if you can see the speedo that was been put on. I, I, uh, <laughs> it's good. It's good up there. I showed this last service and we didn't have anything, so I had to do this the whole time. So I asked him to doctor it up, and so we got we got a speedo. Thank you. Okay. Seen this picture before? Michelangelo painted this, this picture of Adam and God. Adam is, uh, you know, kind of leaning down there and just reclining, right? And he's got his hand kind of, well, not super reaching out to God. It's kind of, you know, limp-wristed. But then there's God, and God's just leaning over. See God leaning over there? He's just like, oh. And, and this, is, this is the impression that a lot of people have of the, the God-man relationship, you know? Man just kind of saying, yeah, I'll take you. God leaning over with everything he's got. I think in the Christian church today, this is uh, probably the prevailing mindset of Christianity. It's just, it's just me and Jesus. It's just me and God. I'm, I'm just going to come and I'm going to soak everything I can out of him. I'm going to you know, hopefully get all the solutions to all my problems. He's going to help me with my needs. He's going to bail me out when I get myself in trouble. Uh, me and God, God and me, and that's it. But I would submit to you that if that's your mindset about Christianity, then you've missed the mission. The, 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 the mission that you've been set on is not this one-handed, uh, tied-behind-your-back faith uh, that is depicted here in this, this story. In fact, if I could find where this uh, portrait was hanging, I'd get some spray paint out, and I would draw Adam's arm uh, sticking out like this, because this is how it's supposed to be in the Christ faith. Uh, you're supposed to be reaching out to him, right, So with the one hand, so that you can be reaching out to others with the other. See, a lot, a lot of Christians, they act like ponds or bogs or puddles. You know, God flows in, doesn't flow out. They just kind of start rotting. You ever been near a pond? It's kind of some nasty stuff there after a while, right? Those can dry up pretty quick too. But if you're a river, well, that's a little tougher to, to dry out. If, if you're something that, uh, uh, you know, God flows through, if you're someone that God enters and exits, that he uses... You ever heard the phrase that uh, we're supposed to be as servants of God, broken and spilled out? It's the picture of us being containers, and he pours himself in us and through us to a world that desperately needs him. So uh, I want to be a church that's full of two-handed Christians. None of this, none of this, hey, just me and God. Soak, soak, soak. No. God gives to me so that I can give to a world that desperately needs him. We're going to see that uh, in a story here this morning in the book of uh, Acts, a guy named Philip. Uh, he is uh, rendered and surrendered to his God. He's just, he's going where he's needed, doing what he's told to do, and he's being used all over the place here in the book of Acts to see people who don't know Jesus find him. He starts out his ministry in a place called Samaria. We talked about that last week. He went to a place that no one else was going, and he's just started sharing the faith, his faith there. And people came to Christ left and right. Peter and John even came down or came up, actually, to Samaria from Jerusalem, and they, uh, they hung out there for a while just to make sure that everything that was going on was kosher. And, uh, but it was all started by Philip. And Philip is going to teach us, remind us again this morning, of the mission that everything that we do, and all that is happening with us as, as Christ followers and as churchgoers, it's all meant to culminate, terminate in the mission. More people knowing Jesus and following him. With their lives. So, let's get into the story of Philip here. Let's ask, ask this question and answer it today. How do I best share my faith? If I'm going to be like Philip, how do I do that best? How can I learn from him and his story 
So as I go into the world, I'm not this one-handed Christian. I'm, I'm taking what God has given me, and I'm giving it to everybody else according to this mission. Well, there's five things. First one's this. First of all, you've got to start with surrendering your own life. If you're in Acts chapter 8, which is where we're going to end up, just flip over a couple pages or a couple swipes, whatever you're doing for a Bible, uh, into Acts chapter 6. It says this in verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. Now, we're kind of jumping into the middle of a story, but we already got, we've gone through this. Uh, the apostles... Uh, were the early church leaders, the disciples and some others, uh, who, had, who had been chosen by God to get the church rolling in Jerusalem. And so uh, they were doing that. 3,000 people started coming the first day. That's a lot of people to handle up on, right? Can you imagine if 3,000 people came to your house for dinner? How's it going? You've got you got some management issues, right? So all kinds of things are going on. People are giving as others have need. And, but there's just a lot of administrative details. They're getting kind of lost in the process. And so the disciples, or the apostles get together and they say, listen, man, we've got to find some help. So we're going to go into the, uh, the second generation of Christians, these people who have found Jesus since we started preaching this stuff, and we're going to choose from them some leaders who aren't going to be on the stage, who aren't going to be up you know, in front talking to everybody like we do, but they're going to be behind the scenes and managing things. Now, they need to be people of good repute. They need to be uh, seven guys who are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom, and we'll appoint them to do these things. What were there, two? there was three quali- qualifications, good repute, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. And so that's what they did. They, they, they found these seven guys, and, and uh, he says, the apostle says, we'll devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word, but these guys, we'll, we'll give them, and they became known as deacons. We'll, we'll give them the, the, these behind-the-scenes uh, administrative types of jobs. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, uh, and so they chose Stephen, heard about him a couple weeks ago. He was the first one to die for his faith in the uh, book of Acts, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then they chose this guy, Philip. Philip, who we're going to read about today. Philip, who also apparently fit the bill. He was full of the Spirit, and he was full of God's wisdom. Here's some other words you can use uh, to name your grandchildren. Uh, Prochorus and Nicanor. Timon, that would be a great meerkat name. Uh, uh, Some people don't get that. Lion King. Anyway, all right. uh, But these seven guys, they they were chosen. They were tapped uh, because they were full of the Spirit and full of God's wisdom. No wonder then that Philip goes on to be used like he's used. No wonder then that Philip uh, uh, kind of not only does the administrative stuff that the deacon's uh, post was required of him, but he becomes a, a, a useful tool in the hand of God and sharing the gospel all over. Samaria, he's going to end up down uh, south of Jerusalem in a place called Gaza today. What, what, what made Philip usable that way? I'll tell you what made him usable. Uh, he had his focus on God God's spirit uh, filled him, and his desire was to do what God thought was wise. And it's an amazing thing when we do that, when we focus our, our, our thoughts and our energies and, 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 and train our eyes on things that are of a spiritual nature, we are far more likely to join God in the spiritual things that he has for us because we're going to be aware of them going on. Anybody ever forgotten something? Anybody forget something on the way here today? Did anybody have to turn back and go to their house because they forgot something? Anybody? In any crowd like this, there's going to be a bunch of you. Here, you know why you forgot that one thing? Like, who's ever left their wallet at a restaurant? Anybody ever done that? Credit cards, anybody? Am I hitting anybody? Are you guys here right now? I've been preaching for like 15 minutes. Have you noticed? All right, if you've forgotten something in your life, then you understand this concept. You forgot that thing because for that moment, your screen, your hard drive was occupied by other things. You weren't thinking about it. That's why it was so easy to leave something as important as a wallet behind in a public place. 
You got telling a joke or a story or listen to someone do the same. And all of a sudden, off you went. And, oh, oh, my goodness, where did he go? Ah, right? You think that happens sometimes in our spiritual lives? Where all the things of the Holy Spirit, the things that, I'm not just talking about when we sin, because that's when we totally just shut off the God side of us, right? But I'm talking about not even like being rebellious. Like the, the Holy Spirit comes to us and says, hey, there's this guy that you work with. You don't really like him, but he needs Jesus. And he's going to ask you to go to lunch today, and you should go. And you're not going to be like, oh, I'm never going to lunch with that guy. He's a dirtbag. No, you're just like, oh, I told you, you know, I, I sensed that I was, but I, I got on to the next thing. The next thing on my schedule, the next thing on my calendar. And all of a sudden, this impetus, this spiritual impetus that did, you know, kind of hit me. I was like, oh, I just forgot. And off I went. And I missed out on the opportunity. Everybody agree with this theological statement? God is always at work around us. Does God take breaks? God is always at work around us. He is always in the process of bringing about his will in the world that we live in. Now, he has worked things in such a way that he accomplishes his will through those who would follow him. A lot of times, uh, despite those who don't follow him, right? But, but his, his main uh, hope, his main objective is to use his people, his church, the children of God, to accomplish his works here on the earth. So is anybody here going to uh, argue with me when I say that there's probably been lots of times in all of our lives, maybe more in mine than yours, where we, because we've been so focused on ourselves, on something that isn't the Holy Spirit, that we have missed out on the opportunities that God has laid out for us. And we've trampled all over them. Because we're just not tuned in. We live in a Wi-Fi age. I just had Verizon come install Wi-Fi at this house that we're working on. The router works great if you're close enough. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you get off in parts of the house that are a distance from the router, you're going to have some issues. That little, you know, concentric circle thing that's at the top of your uh, uh, whatever it is that shows Wi-Fi signal, you, you have fewer and fewer bars. So here's what I did. I went and bought... Uh, some of these uh, router extenders. Uh, there's little antenna things you can plug into plugs, and uh, it boosts your signal. Works great. I wish we had those spiritually speaking. Like, wouldn't it be great to have like a Holy Spirit router booster in our car? Right? So that as we're driving along and that dude cuts us off, we don't go all carnal on his butt. You know what I'm talking about? And we remember to pray for him because that jerk has a soul. You know what I'm talking about? be great if we had those things. I would tell you that we do have those things. You know how you boost your single? You, you wake up every morning, and instead of just busting off and going doing life, you slow down. You read some of the Bible. You pray and connect with God, and you submit yourself to him that day. Instead of filling yourself and your mind with, you know, talk radio or whatever else is on there, you pray on your way to work. You, you keep your thoughts and your mind trained on the things of God, not just because it's going to make you better, not just because it's the one-handed Christian thing, not just so you can have the fuzzies. and bleh. You do it because God's going to use you today in the life of somebody else. He wants to. He desires it. And you're going to miss the signal because your screen's focused on something else. You know why Philip and other great men and women in the Scriptures are great men and women? Most of it's just focus. They were available. They put their eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of their faith, and because their eyes were there, they could hear him when he said, go do this. 
That's where we're going to go to next. Once your focus is in the right place, once the signal's strong, well, then you've got to move as the Spirit leads. Skipping forward to the story we're going to talk about today in Acts chapter 8, it says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, a messenger, that's what an angel is. Angelos is the Greek word for messenger. A messenger comes to Philip and he says, all right, Philip, here's the deal. Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And Luke just kind of puts this little parenthetical in there. Uh, this is a desert place. <laughs> okay, so everybody, everybody follow me here. Uh, Philip has been prompted by God to go to Samaria. Uh, that was one of the places that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, God says, you're going to be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Who's the first one to go to Samaria? Phil. Phil goes in there, and if you were here last week, you know, he rocked it, man. He just slayed him, spiritually speaking. He just brought the gospel, and people, I mean, miracles were happening. People are trusting Jesus, getting baptized left and right. Peter and John show up. I mean, it is a happening. And so he's got to be feeling pretty good, man. God and me, mm. that's what I'm doing. Can you see? That's tight. Everybody see that? But then the next message that God sends Philip is like, oh, Philip, man, you just crushed it in Samaria. You crushed it out there. Here's your reward. I want you to get up, and I want you to walk into the desert. Just walk. Trust me. Rise. Gaza, 20 miles or so south of Jerusalem. It's arid, dry, hot, sticky, nasty. Congratulations. Thanks for all your hard work. Who'd be thinking that was a little bit of a demotion? And how many of us, come on, testify, how many of us have been like, you know what, Lord, there's probably someone else you need to talk to. Right? Because here's what we do, right? This is what we always do. We come to the Holy Spirit, and even if we do get tuned in and we're like set up, we got a box. Here's what I'll do. Listen, Lord, I love you. I surrender all. Here I am. Send me. Just make sure there's air conditioning. Because if there's no AC, I'm not your guy. It's got to be 74 degrees for me to be able to serve you. Uh, hey, Lord, I'm, I'm available, whatever you want. Just make sure I have all the details ahead of time. I need to know everything about what you want me to do before I will venture into doing any of it. And if I, listen, if I can't control the details, just don't bother asking because I've got to have an element of where I'm you know, on top of this. Oh, we're laughing, but we're living it, right? Everybody gets what Philip happened to Philip here? Holy Spirit comes to him through an angel and says, hey, buddy, walk. Happens a lot in the Bible. Abraham, hanging out. Hey, I'm going to make your children, uh, you know, a blessing to all of uh, humanity, uh, but you need to move. I'll tell you where to stop when you're, when you're there. Noah, I'm going to flood the earth, build a boat. In the desert. I mean, read your Bibles. God is constantly telling people to be, you know, be places and do things that we're like, huh? What? How are you and I when it comes to that? Do we move when the Spirit leads? Took a youth group uh, of kids to, to China in 1999. I don't know if I, we were always supposed to say uh, East Asia, but uh, I went to China. And, uh, I took, uh, took these kids to China at a time where the uh, Americans, uh, unfortunately, in the Bosnian conflict, they had bombed the Chinese embassy in Bosnia. I don't know if you remember that, but we went a month after we bombed their embassy. And so we had this huge meeting with all these parents and their kids because there were some parents that were kind of like, you know, hesitant, you know, initially when we talked about going. But now, no way. 
because they were convinced as soon as Americans stepped off the plane in Beijing, they were going to be shot on sight or beheaded or something like that. I don't know what stuff they'd cooked up in their head. But they're like, no way, I'm not subjecting my kids. I mean, they're going to be thousands of miles away from me. I'm, I'm out of control. I'm a parent. I've got to be in control of this situation. And so we had a meeting, and all the chicken little showed up, and they started telling us that we were crazy and that we were, uh, you know, we were just being uh, foolish for even, you know, continuing with the trip at all. We shouldn't even have to decide, you know, uh, that we're going to leave the church. I mean, all this stuff. And I'm the youth pastor, and I've got to stand up there and be like, well, here's why we're going. Because we've prayed, and we've continued to pray, and we sense... Uh, especially as we hear from our partners over there, that there's not going to be any of these issues that you're fearful of? Yeah, but what if these things do happen? I I said, listen, ma'am, one of these moms got up. And I said, ma'am, that's how she sounded. She said, ma'am, where's the safest place on earth? I don't know what you mean. What do you mean? The safest place on earth is in the center of God's will. It's the safest place anybody could ever be. We sense, as a group and as a church, that this is God's will for this group of kids. And so, listen, even if it isn't the safest place on earth, but if it's what God wants for us, we're going. What about money? I've never gone on a mission trip that God, God's people didn't provide for. That, that's a non-starter. Bug it, right? Every objection they gave us. What about this? What about this? Hey, if God is for us, who can be against us? Six or seven kids said, you know what, I hear all that, trust all that, believe all that on some level, but it's not in my, and so we're not going. And you know what, they missed out on the, on the to me, one of the greatest missions trips I've ever been a part of, to one of the darkest places uh, in the world that is without a Savior. Why? What ifs? It's scary. I know we're supposed to respond to the Holy Spirit, but what about common sense? Hey. Christians, we are not like everybody else. There isn't a lot of common sense at, at lots of the levels of our faith. Everybody just get used to that, okay? And if God every once in a while asks you to do something that seems stupid, well, we'll get into that. Here we go. So after this desert place, he goes, this is all it says. This is what it says. I love this about Philip. It says, and he rose and went, Period. No, hey, hang on. Uh, Lord, things are going great here in Samaria. Can you send one of the other seven? How about Timon? He's not busy. No. Philip leaves Samaria where he's rocking and rolling, and he starts walking out in the desert. And there he was, this Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, If you're a little kid and you're sitting next to your parents, ask him what a eunuch is. We'll continue. Anyway, uh, a court official of uh, a Candace, a queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all the treasure uh, for that particular branch of the uh, government. Now, real quick, has anybody got a friend named Candace? My cousin's name is Candy, Candace. And, and everybody thinks that the queen of Ethiopia was actually this lady, Candace. It's not true. Candace was their last name. It's like the dynasty name, like Ming or Tudor. And so uh, uh, the, the Candace dynasty was in, in charge of Ethiopia, as it was known at that time. It's just Everybody wants to see, so this is Israel right here. We're down here in Jerusalem. They're hanging out down here in Gaza. And then way over here uh, on the uh, western side of the Red Sea is is Egypt. And on the western side of Egypt is where Ethiopia, as it was known then, uh, uh, existed. And so thousands, about a thousand miles from, from Jerusalem, this Ethiopian has traveled. Uh, he's, he's an agent of the Candace dynasty in Ethiopia. Uh, the queen there is not actually even the queen. It's the queen mother. Uh, so he's actually working for the, the mother of the king. Uh, but he is the CFO. He's in charge of the coin. 
And as such, he has some perks, all right? Uh, he gets to go on long vacations. Uh, he, he, he can go and, 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 and do spiritual pilgrimages. We don't have any indication as to what uh, drove this Ethiopian to go to Jerusalem, but he did. Some people think that maybe he was a, a proselyte. That means he had converted to Judaism through some Jew who had traveled through his region uh, and told him about Judaism, so he went to Israel as part of his Jewish, new Jewish faith. Others think that he was just like a lot of people today. He wasn't sure. And so he was just trying stuff out. The Ethiopian gods weren't working for him, so let's check out these guys over here in Israel. So he goes there, uh, and uh, he, he comes to Israel to worship in Jerusalem, verse 28, and he was returning. So he'd left Jerusalem. Uh, he, was, he was heading south back across where he'd come from, another thousand miles back to Ethiopia. He was seated in his chariot. Oh, that's, that, that's a tip-off right there. He had some coin. He was blinging. And uh, he probably had this huge caravan of, of guards and horses, kind of like a presidential, you know, with the, with, the, with the Suburbans in the front, but it was the horse version. And then he had this big old stretch limo chariot, all right? And uh, so uh, he, was, he was kind of a, a few ranks above, class-wise, uh, than this little simple guy named Philip uh, who, was, uh, who was out there in the desert. Uh, he was seated in his chariot, and it says that he was reading the prophet Isaiah. That means that someone... In, in Jerusalem, had, had passed this guy a scroll. Uh, this, this wasn't like it is today where you can go buy a Bible or, or, or look one up online anywhere you want. Back then, uh, the scrolls had to be copied meticulously by the scribes, and so Jews just weren't letting go of copies of any of the prophets. And so so he, he either paid a lot of coin to get this, this thing, or he had a really great friend who had his hands on an extra copy of Isaiah. Whatever the case is, he's reading it as he's traveling along in his chariot. <laughs> look what happens next. The Spirit says to Philip, who's already out in the desert, 110 degrees, in a dress, uh, walking around, no particular point, right? He says, hey, buddy, go over and join this chariot. Look what it says next. Verse 30, so Philip runs to him. Here's what I'm picturing because God's got a great sense of humor. Uh, he lists this whole procession go past Philip. He's just standing out there in the desert waiting for God to tell him what to do. And it gets like, I don't know, half a mile down the road. And then, you know, the red phone rings and Philip picks it up and it's the Holy Spirit. And it's like... Yeah, hey, uh, Philip, that's your guy, the guy in the chariot. Yeah, I need you to go run next to that chariot and, and just wait for further instruction. So it's already a half mile down the road, and Philip's like, seriously, Lord, come on. I'm in a dress. It's 110 degrees. We're going to have some jungle, you know, jungle rod here. And, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's going to get sweaty, right? It's going to be nasty. But you want me to run next to the chariot. Is that what you're saying to me? All right, so he books, he starts running, all right, catches up to the chariot, Ethiopian's just reading his Isaiah scroll. All of a sudden, sweaty dude in a dress next to him. I don't know either, right? This is what's happening. All right. I'll get back to you in a second. Right? Is everybody picturing this? Are you doing this? You're in the desert. The Spirit says to you, run next to a chariot in 110 degrees in a dress. Fellas, who's in? Anybody? I pray all of us would be in. i got to see the end of this one, right? Now, once, once you're yielded to the Spirit to that level, where he tells you to run next to a car on 60, and you do, well, so, then some great things can happen. You can start sharing the gospel. But before you do that, you've got to find a way into the conversation. Look, look what happens with, the, with, with this eunuch and, and with Philip. So Philip ran uh, to him. And he heard uh, this eunuch uh, reading Isaiah out loud, or trying to. And, and he asked him, hey, do you understand what, what you're reading? 
Now, this, this is, a, this is kind of a, a, an interesting spot in the, in, the, in the story here because he's an Ethiopian. Is he, is he like fluent in Hebrew? I mean, it's not his native tongue. So maybe he's got like, a, you know, like one of those apps on his phone where he's, you know, Googling the words as he's going along and he's, he's trying to piece it together. On, on a, just an elementary level, he doesn't understand what he's reading. Or maybe he does know Hebrew and, and, the, and the mysteries of what he's reading here in the book of Isaiah, just, he's not getting it. Anybody ever read their Bibles and been like, huh? That's what this Ethiopian's doing, right? So <laughs> jogging Philip, hey, I noticed you're reading Isaiah. <laughs> I could help you with that if you'd like. And the Ethiopian says this, verse 31. So he says, well, yeah, how can I understand this unless someone guides me? Hop in. And he invited Bill to, to come into the chariot. And then things start cracking, right? But don't miss what just happened here. God didn't tell Philip to run up next to the chariot with a bullhorn and be like, repent! That, that was not the message. Did everybody see that? You're going to hell! Oh, we laugh, but there's a strand of the Christian church that thinks that's it. That's, like, just find a corner and, and bark them into heaven. Just yell until they just, well, I don't know, put, you go, to, <laughs> go to prayer just to get you out of there, right? I mean, that, that's a top-down evangelism strategy. I'm going to determine how you hear about Jesus. Bullhorn coming, right? But that's not what the Scripture teaches. At least not always. I mean, proclamational evangelism happens. I, I'll do it up here all the time. But, but if you're hanging out with someone, hey, figure out where they have a, an itch and scratch it. Right? Like just, if you're, if you're trying to figure out, how can I share my faith with someone at work? Just, hey, figure out the, 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 that person's life and their needs and how the gospel applies to those things and just start sticking it in there. Ask if you can help. One of my favorite stories of Bay Life Church in my 10, 11 years here is the story of this, uh, this guy, names will be removed here, but this guy came to Christ. You know how he came to Christ? His neighbor went to Bay Life and he started mowing his grass. This dude who came to Christ was disabled. He was the, the, the neighborhood curmudgeon. No one hung out with him. He was just an angry, bitter guy because he'd lived a hard, difficult life. His marriage had dissolved. He was a disabled dude. He was just mad. And this one guy from Bay Life, Christian guy, just says, you know what, I mean, you know, heard someone say something in a life group or something like that that you should love anyway. And so he, he goes across the street one day and just says, hey, man, can I cut your grass? And the curmudgeon was like, get out. You know, he didn't, want to, he didn't want to have any conversation with him. What are you doing? Get off my lawn. He says, listen, man, I'm, just, I'm, I'm cutting my lawn every week. If you want me to just keep going into your yard, I'll cut your grass. No big deal. He's like, what's the, cut? What's the catch? He says, no catch at all, man. How much? I don't want you to pay me. I just... I mean, I'm just, you know, I'd just really love to help you if I can. It's, it doesn't look like you have, you know, the ability to do so. Well, we'll see how this goes. And he just starts cutting his grass every week. And the first month goes by, and the guy doesn't even come out of his house. He's probably waiting to see how long it's going to last, right? Second month goes by. At the end of the second month, the curmudgeon comes out the front door with an iced tea just as the dude's finishing up. Hey, appreciate your help. Well, that first iced tea turns into a regular iced tea. Turns into conversations. Turns into this neighbor finding out about this guy's life and why he's such a curmudgeon. And then eventually, as I'm told, over iced tea one day, the curmudgeon finally says, hey, why? Why? 
why do you cut my grass? Everybody else in this neighborhood just clears a path when I come by. Door open, right? Well, listen, man, I mean, I don't mean to freak you out. That's a great way to start anytime you're going to start with someone who's not a Christian. I don't mean to freak you out, but here's the deal. I, I've, I found faith in God through Jesus Christ. Ten years ago, I would have never cut your grass. I would have been egging your house. <laughs> but because of Jesus in my life now, I just, I'm different. And so it, it, it just makes sense for me to cut your grass. And I do it because, because Jesus changed my life. And I don't know how many more iced teas it took, but eventually that guy found his way to Bay Life Church, and that guy found his, pay, his way to Jesus. Why? Now listen, why? Bullhorn? Some magical sermon that was just woven as an oratory, you know, miracle? No. A dude cut his grass. Everybody drive down the street at your neighborhood now, be looking for the long grass, right? Because that might be the Holy Spirit. Might be the way that he gets you into the chariot. Philip finds his way into the chariot. And then, thank God, he knew enough to share enough. And this is huge. You've got to get this this year. We've got to go from the idea that I'm coming to church for me. No more one-handed Christianity. Okay? If you come and learn things from God and about God, then your mission, your, your idea should be, yes, that's great for me. I want to apply that to my life and see it change my life. But I want to share that with the other people in my life. Because God teaches me so that I can be used of him to teach others. God gives to me so that I can give to others. Are you with me? And Philip, listen, Philip was one of those early Christians that it talks about in Acts chapter 2 where he sat at the apostles' feet and he listened to them teach all of the apostles' teachings. And he, he grew up in his faith. He got to the point where he could go and preach the gospel in Samaria. He had it down pat. And so when the questions started coming out of this Ethiopian's head, he's like, dude, let's do this. And he just, he just... I mean, it had to be a fun chariot ride for Philip because he knew enough so that he could share enough, right? Look what it says. It says, now the passages of Scripture that the Ethiopian was reading was this. It was in Isaiah chapter 53. He quotes it here. Like a sheep he was led to slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. Verse 33, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. Now, if you're new to the Bible uh, and you don't know about the Testaments, this guy Isaiah lived hundreds of years before Jesus ever hit the planet, but he as a prophet is, is basically predicting the life that Jesus experienced, especially the end of his life. As a sheep led to slaughter, he's talking about Jesus. And here's what the Ethiopian says to him. The, the eunuch says to Philip, hey, about whom I ask you, does this prophet say th- these things? Is it about himself or is it about someone else? Here comes the door. Philip's in the chariot. The dude just asked the question, tell me about Jesus. And Philip's like, dude, I can tell you about Jesus. Here's, and, and he just starts at the beginning. He probably tells his testimony. I was just minding my own business. And then this guy Peter started talking on the day of Pentecost. And all of a sudden, here I am. I'm following Jesus. And he told me all these things. And listen, he explained Isaiah to me. Hey, you want to hear about the rest of Isaiah? Here's all the other places Isaiah talks about Jesus. You want to read those too? And he just goes off. Says so here in this verse. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture. Not ending with this scripture. He went other places. Beginning with this scripture, 
he told him the good news about Jesus. He told him the good news. To put it in crass, term, crass terms, Philip was a great salesman. You know what makes a great salesman? They know about their product. They believe in their product. And they want you to have it too. That's why I carry a Slim Clip. <laughs> if you haven't been to Bay Life Church, let me introduce you to the greatest thing that's ever happened to mankind outside the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a Slim Clip. It's revolutionized wallets forever. You can put eight credit cards on this side. You can put all of your, your gift cards, like your Father's Day cards that you're going to get, fellas, because no one really thinks about getting you a gift. You can put those on here. and Oh, uh, hey, it's okay. And then you can put your cash on there, and, and it fits in the front of your... You don't, you don't have the George Costanza wallet where you're blowing your back out and stuff. You just put it in the front, front of your pocket. Boom! Slim clip. Let it change your life. It's changed mine. You know why I have a drawer full of slim clips that I give to people on a regular basis? That they, like if, don't ask me today. I don't, want to get, I don't want a slim clip rush today, okay? It's Father's Day. Leave me alone. But if you asked me for a slim clip and I had one of my, I would give it to you. First one's free, right? It's like drugs. First one's free. But you know why I give it to you? I believe in the product. It's stupid. It's a slim clip, I know. But I use it. I know about it. I believe in it. I want you to have it. Now, what's wrong with Christians? Because Christians have something Way better than a slim clip. They have the meaning of life. They have eternal life through their faith in Jesus Christ. It, it, sometimes it takes us as Christians a long time to get fussed out about that. But we should be at like, you know, 11, spiked at 11 all the time about the fact that Jesus, by his grace, has saved us from our sins. It should just wipe us out every morning that we wake up to it. And we should be so excited about this salvation that we have. This, as the Hebrews call it in the book of Hebrews, so great a salvation. It should be just something that we have, that we love, and that we understand, and that we, we want everybody else to have. That's what makes a good salesman. But here's, here's where the, some, some of us, we're so excited we don't know what we're talking about, though. I'm so excited to share with you Christ. I wish I could tell you about him. I don't know anything. Oh, I've been paying attention. He preaches at me every week. I just go, huh? How, how good are you going to be to someone who needs Jesus? You've got to listen. And you've got to listen not, because here's the thing. Most of us listen to sermons and say, well, this isn't about me today, so I'm not going to pay attention. It's not about you. It's never been about you or me. It's about God getting the glory for our lives. And even if it isn't hitting my spots, this is for someone else. Pay attention for them. Because if you do, and if you share with passion and with knowledge, guided by the Spirit, responsive to his leading, people trust Jesus. And they can trust him with you. That's what happens next. Philip helps this guy across the line. As they were going along, uh, they came to some water. Okay, just don't miss this stuff in your Bibles. Where are they again? Gaza. What is it? Luke was emphatic. This is a desert place. Seen a lot of water in the desert lately? So it just so happens, and that's probably why I think the chariot had to get out ahead, you know, before God said to Philip, hey, I want you to run next to that chariot. He had to time it. He had to time it so that whole conversation that Philip has with this eunuch ends up to where the eunuch starts to really dig into the Jesus thing just in time for him to look out through the side window of his chariot and be like, dude, there's some water in the desert. 
Why should I not be baptized? What a coincidence. Think God sovereignly works things out? Think he sets up appointments? Think he squares things so that just as you're in your obedience are being used by him to usher someone into the glory that is salvation, there just happens to be a puddle next to the road on the desert road? Come on, people. Wake up, America. Here we go. So he sees some water. And the eunuch says to him, hey, man, why shouldn't I be baptized? And they commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, and Philip dunked that eunuch and he baptized them, and they rejoiced over his salvation. He wasn't saved because of the water. He got saved in the chariot. But he says, hey, man, I don't know a lot of Christians where I'm going. If I'm going to get baptized, it better be you. It better be now. And so he got it done. And God wasn't done showing up because look what happens next. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Now, some people will be like, well, that doesn't mean it was a miracle. I think it was a miracle. I think God just went all Star Trek on Philip, and he just you know, disappeared, transporter style. And he ends up, it says, uh, in a place called Azotus, which is 20 miles north of Jerusalem. He went about 40 miles uh, miraculously. But he was no longer there in the presence of, of this eunuch. And what does it say the eunuch did? Did he freak out? No. He didn't freak out. It says the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way, what? Rejoicing. Because, listen, once you put your faith in Jesus, weird isn't weird anymore. You're like, oh, that's cool. The God who I just tapped in, uh, tapped into through faith in Jesus Christ made the dude who was baptizing me disappear. Awesome. I'm going to tell that story. And in fact, you know what? Uh, an ancient church historian, it's not in the Bible, but he records for us that this Ethiopian eunuch goes back to Ethiopia, shares the gospel there. What was, what was the command of, of Jesus to all the, the disciples that you would go and be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, in the utmost parts of the earth. Uh, he took a third generation Christian from Ethiopia and he used that Ethiopian eunuch to spread the gospel in Ethiopia to where the gospel still has a seat today, still has a hold in North, or North Africa through the ministry of this guy. Oh, church, listen. If we can just get to the point where we get over ourselves, put our focus on Jesus, get sensitive to the Spirit, you know, we're plugged into him, he's leading us. In fact, that's my challenge to you. My challenge to you today is the Philip Challenge 2015. And here's my hope for our church, that every disciple in this church would be a disciple maker. That everybody in the, in the, in the coming months of 2015 would have an opportunity like Philip did. Because you were yielded to the Spirit, you dug deeper in your faith than you've ever dug before, you became more sensitive to the leadings of the Spirit, wherever you go, work, school, play, whatever, that you heard the Spirit say, hey, Go. Rise up and go. Have lunch with this dude. Talk to this woman in your neighborhood. Hey, that, 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 that kid's mom that your kid hangs out with, schedule some coffee. And you do that. And you start fumbling through the early portions of that relationship. And you're trying to figure out, hey, how do I, how do I find my way to this person's chariot? But by God's grace through your help and through your just listening and figuring out where, where, where uh, the itch needs to be scratched, you find yourself in a position where God swings the door open and the person asks those questions that can lead you to drop in the seeds of the gospel. And here's my prayer, that sometime in 2015 you'd start that process and you would have the joy of sharing your faith 
with someone, maybe for the first time, and seeing them put their faith in Jesus Christ. Can everybody see how this thing get, gets multiplied if everybody does that? How, how the church grows, how the mission is accomplished when everybody takes the mission seriously? So that's my challenge to you this year. Be Philip. Be yielded. Be sensitive. Be brave. Uh, be smart. As you come and listen to me, listen for yourselves, but listen so you can tell someone else. And then be ready when God gives you the opportunity. We're going to close our eyes as we finish here in prayer. Just everybody bow your heads for a second. We don't do this every week, but I'm going to let you make like a, a physical uh, response today to this challenge. I'm serious about this challenge. If you thought I was kidding, I was just trying to figure out a way to close my sermon. I'm not. As serious as I can stand before you, I know I'm humorous at times, but, but as serious as I stand before you, as your pastor, as your partner in the gospel, if you would, by God's grace, have enough faith to say, yes, I want to do the Philip Challenge 2015. I want to be used. If God will use me, I want to be used of God this year to reach someone for Christ. Here's what I want you to do with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Just raise your hand up in the air. And don't give me one of those half raises. Give me a full-on raise. I'm going to pray for those hands in the air. God, these men and women, they've, they've chosen, as you have led them, to be available to you in this way. And so I pray that these two or three hundred hands that are in the air would have the joy of seeing someone cross the line for you this year in their life, that you would use them, that you'd make them sensitive to your spirit, that you would uh, give them the words to say, that you would make them serious about their times in your word, uh, about their times in, in, in in the teaching that they get so that they can be prepared for whatever questions might be asked, and that, God, you would give them your grace to see someone that they know come to follow you. You can put your hands down. For the rest of us, God, my prayer is this. If we're not ready for that, grow us lead us deeper into you. If we're sitting here this morning and we don't know you yet, I pray that someone whose hand was raised in that row would talk to that person who doesn't know you yet and that that that'd be how you answer those, those prayers. That you'd use people here to reach people here. But whatever the case may be, God, would you make yourself first in our lives and use us, Lord, to help other people follow you. I pray that for our church, for every church, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen, y'all. Thanks for coming to church this morning. I'll be here in the corner. You got some free carbs. Grab some on the way out, dads. Stuff your pockets, whatever. Uh, Say hi to uh, Cindy and uh, uh, Scott in the back. Have a great week. God bless you as you go.